This sermon, A Promise for 2024, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, January 31st, 2023 at Sovereign Grace Church. If you're busy with us, my name is Derek Overstreet. As Tim said, I have the privilege of being one of the pastors. And we continue our worship this morning by looking into the Word of God. So if you would open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, almost the middle of your Bible. And we're just going to read verse 7, so you can stand with me. We're going to be reading only verse 7. Really, that, that's our text this morning. We'll use verses 1 through 6 to just support that which we find in, at the end of verse 7. But look all the way down to the end of verse 7. One phrase this morning. One sentence. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You may be seated. Pray with me. Don't you love that? <laughs> Lord, you are the Lord of the hosts. And this is your word to your people. Would you cause it, as we look into this great promise, would you cause it to lay hold of our hearts, to inform what Pastor Tim prayed about earlier, the glory wars, and to shape our perspective in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Isaiah 9 is a classic Christmas passage. Uh, oftentimes, it's already been preached this time of the year. It's a classic Christmas passage because it is perhaps one of the most unforgettable foretellings, one of the most unforgettable prophetic words of the birth of Jesus, right? We, we all know those words. For unto us, in verse 6, a child is born. But the final words, the words that we just read in verse 7, are probably less familiar to us. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so as I talked to the guys, I thought, boy, on this final Sunday of 2023, there's a lot of things that we could talk about. There's a lot of things that, 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 that could be at the center of a sermon. But this morning, we want to draw your attention to the zeal of the Lord of hosts. There's a great promise in these words that should create gratitude in our hearts for 2023, as hard as that might be for some of you. And it should create hopefulness as we step into 2024. In fact, I believe there is a promise for us here, a promise for 2024, and really a promise for 2024 and beyond that I am, and I know the guys are, we we are jealous. We are jealous for this phrase 
to take hold of our hearts today and set us on course for 2024. I've, I've taken, I've drawn two, two points out of this phrase. One, the promise that got us here and the promise that will move us forward. The promise that got us here and the promise that will move us forward. So let's look at that first point this morning uh, to, to understand what's going on here in chapter 9, we really need to understand chapter 7, verse 1. For there we, we learn the context of this prophecy by Isaiah. Chapter 7, verse 1 reminds us that at the time that, that Isaiah spoke this, Ahaz was the king of Judah. He was from the line of David, and he reigned from 732 B.C. to 716. In fact, this week, you can read about him in 2 Kings chapter 16. A few things about this king. He was young. He was 20 years old when he took the throne, and he was wicked. He was a wicked king. He was demonic. He would have fit in well in today's world. He erected idols everywhere. He passionately promoted pagan worship to everyone. And he put his money where his mouth was. History says that he even sacrificed his own son to the gods. And under his reign, verse 1 and 2 of our text tells us that Judah spiraled into deep anguish, verse 1. And notice verse 2, deep darkness. Ahaz was so wicked. Three prophets, not one, but three prophets, Isaiah, Hosea, and Micah. The Lord sent them all to warn him to turn and lead God's people back to him. So it's in this context, it's in this darkness that now Isaiah speaks the hope of the Messiah that we're so familiar with. Notice verse 6, you know this passage, but look what it says. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be, shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore in the deep darkness, in the anguish and despair of God's people, living under a king who has totally turned away from God and in doing so has turned the people of God away from him. Isaiah is a light who speaks this word of hope, there is one coming. This prophetic pronouncement of the birth and the work of Jesus Christ, it was a promise that one would come and establish God's kingdom. Notice what it says in verse 6 or in verse 7, in perfect justice 
and righteousness. How will this happen? That would have been the question you would have asked if you would have been if you would have been an Israelite in this day when you heard these words. Really? I can't see how that's going to happen. How is that going to happen? Our king is off the rails. The world around us is done. Isaiah tells us, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In his zeal, and, and when you hear that, in his zeal, I, I think a good way to think about that is a co- it's a combination of God's burning jealousy for his own glory and his white-hot affections for his redeemed people. All coming together. His glory and my affections for sinners that I will save. The Lord of hosts, by his zeal, will accomplish salvation for sinners through this child that will be born, through his son, Jesus Christ. It would be another 700 years, if you're doing the math. Another 700 years until Jesus, this child, would finally come. But as Paul wrote in Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time had come, or translation, At just the right time, God sent forth his son. It's what we just celebrated. It's what really we celebrate every day as believers. And how, how will this be done? For us on this side of the cross, how has this been accomplished? Well, Isaiah tells us, the zeal of the Lord of hosts has done this. He has made a way for sinners to be reconciled to God and to live in peace with God. How the zeal of the Lord in the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ has done this. Now let's just pause for a moment and fast forward. This promise, this promise is the only reason why you are here. This promise is the only reason why this church exists. This promise is the only reason why anyone here has hope as we say goodbye to 2023 and hello to 2024. We are here and we exist and we are being sustained by the zeal of the Lord of hosts who has made us his own. He has brought us here. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what I've done. It's not about what our church has accomplished. It's not about any of that. It is the zeal of the Lord of hosts who will do this, Isaiah says. And for us, because he has kept that promise, we can say we are here because the zeal of the Lord of hosts has done this. But there's a, 
There's a second way that this promise should function for us. This, this promise is why we are here. But this promise is also what will move us forward. Do you know one of the greatest promises of the New Testament is found in the Gospel of Matthew. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We, we don't talk about that promise enough. We don't think, we don't muse on that promise enough. Institutions come and go. Governments rise and fall. Cultures flourish and then fade. Ideologies surge, then subside. But God is building his church. In the words of Wayne Grudem, the community of all true believers for all time. In Christ, God inaugurated his kingdom, and now he is building his unstoppable church. This promise doesn't stop. This promise doesn't stop at the birth of Christ. The birth of Christ inaugurates his kingdom into a new day and age. And the church is unstoppable. Why? Because the zeal of the Lord of hosts is building it. Because the zeal of the Lord of hosts is in it. The Lord of hosts, his affections for you, his affections for the loss that he called before the foundations of the world. And his unending jealousy that he would be glorified in all things for all times. This is what moves us forward. Tim prayed about this earlier. It's true. It's true. It will only get harder being a Christian. Scripture doesn't teach us it will get easier. It will only get harder. The, the culture will only become more hostile. Governments will only become more intolerant. Christians will be increasingly marginalized and vulnerable to persecution. But the church and her gospel message that brings salvation to sinners will be unstoppable. And at just the right time, a time that no man knows, Christ will return to judge the living and the dead and establish his eternal kingdom to the praise of his glory. Who will do this? I think, I think we could be like the Israelites in 700 BC who would say, boy, really? Because it sure doesn't look like it. That's right. It's not supposed to look like it. The Bible doesn't teach us it'll look like it. The Bible teaches us that in the midst of the despair and the anguish and the hardship of following the Lord and fighting the glory wars, he will appear and make all things right. 
The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I love Charles Bridges. He says, how overwhelming is the thought of this affection or zeal possessing the heart of God. Listen to this. Of the deep interest of his infinite mind in the progress of the kingdom of his dear son. His thoughts engaged in it. His unsearchable plans embracing it and controlling all the mighty moves of this world to subserve this main design. How solid, therefore, listen, Christian, how solid is the rock on which Christian ministry rests as the grand engine for the accomplishment of the purposes and promises of God that he will accomplish according to his zeal. And guess what? By grace, you get to be a part of it. By grace, we get to be a part of it, not merely as spectators, but as instruments in his hands. To use the words of Paul to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, as ambassadors, God making his appeal through you. You are a megaphone in God's hand, making his appeal through you. We get to play a part in his service. He is building his church, and we get to play a part. And this must be where we place our trust in 2024. Uh, Tim talked about a lot of unknowns. Boy, the 2024, buckle up. A lot going on in 2024, especially in our country. I'm sure you have plenty of, of unanswered questions in 2024 for your personal life. Will my sickness be healed? Will my child turn to the Lord? Will my marriage Last, will I ever be able to stop drinking? Will I, ever, will I be able to actually pay the bills and put a few dollars away finally in 2024? Listen, we appropriate our trust and we direct our gospel-driven zeal for the Lord of the hosts in very real ways. We don't just sit back. God has engaged us into his service. He has granted us the privilege to play a part in his providential plan of salvation that even through the flip of a coin he is guiding and directing to his intended purposes. And so our zeal for the Lord is how we respond. Zeal, zeal that, that's a word we don't use a lot. It's a word, we need to use it more. <laughs> it's a great word, but it's, it's simple. It's a passionate enthusiasm in pursuit of a particular objection. Now just think about that. You have plenty of areas in your life where you are zealous, right? 
Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's building a business. Maybe it's how you're raising your family. We are zealous people because God has created us as zealous people. The question is, where, are, where is our zeal pointed? What are we zealous for? I want to give you three, three ways that your pastors believe our, our zeal for the Lord should be expressed in 2024 and beyond. The first one is this. To continue to be grounded in sound doctrine. In his foreword to the book of the quarter, uh, Christianity Liberalism, Kevin DeYoung writes, if there is one reoccurring theme throughout the book, it is that the church of Jesus Christ cannot be sustained and indeed was never founded on doctrinal indifferentism. From the beginning, Macon argues the Christian movement was not just a way of life, but a way of life founded upon a message. It was based not upon mere feeling, not upon a mere program of work, but upon an account of facts. In other words, it was based on doctrine. The Christian faith, your faith, the Christian faith is built on truth. And that is so important not to lose sight of. I don't have to tell you this, but we are living in a culture that has normalized, and they are good at this, that has normalized turning truth into falsehood. And falsehood into truth. We must be rooted in sound doctrine. We must be rooted in truth. We cannot, be it individually or collectively as a church, we cannot capitulate on this. The culture may label us primitive, bigoted, and intolerant. It may seem at times that we are, what we are doing is not working. The fruit may seem sparse. The growth may seem slow. Even within the broader church, unfortunately, we may seem old-fashioned. But we have to remember something. <laughs> we are not responsible for outcomes and fruitfulness. That's the Lord's work. You know what God calls us to? You know what he calls us to? What he calls you to in 2024? Above all things, whatever your New Year's resolutions are, if, if you like that kind of thing, whatever it may be, if you're going into 2024 thinking, Lord, what, what are you calling me to this year? Let me tell you, above all things, what he is calling you to. I might not know any other thing that he's calling you to this year, but let me tell you one thing that he is calling you to. He calls us to faithfulness and obedience to the old rugged cross and the sound theology of the sacred writings. That's what God calls us to in 
2024. I, 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 I heard or read this somewhere. I'm probably going to butcher it, but, but I liked it. Uh, you know what? We, we, what the church needed in the second century, what the church needed in all the centuries between then and today is the same thing the church needs today. And it's the same thing that the church needs tomorrow. To be built on the foundation of God's word. Sound theology. Sound doctrine. In this we cannot waver. Because the moment we waver, we become irrelevant. We might not be able to control outcomes, but I can tell you the moment we step off sound doctrine, the outcome will not be good. This is what you and I need. This is what our church needs. This is what the church needs in 2024. Listen, you know this. The culture is successfully creeping into the church. Maybe, maybe you don't know this, but, but I promise you it's true. As the culture creeps into the church, it is destroying the doctrines of the word. It is destroying the doctrine of God and his holiness, of man and what he was created for. It is destroying the doctrine of sin. The authority of feelings is quickly becoming a church tenant. The Catholic church is, and if you're Catholic, listen, I'd love to talk to you. I don't want to be offensive. But the Catholic church right now is going off the rails with the latest proclamation of the Pope who says, listen, priest, go ahead and bless those homosexual marriages. We just, we need to look no further than the fact that the new and preferred anthropology of our day can be found in one place, the LGBTQ plus community. There's your anthropology. Listen, this is, by the way, um, we love the unbelievers in our lives, no matter where they're at. Shouldn't surprise us where anybody's at. But the grace of God, there go I. It's only God, God's grace and mercy that rescued me from my hellbound race. Who knows how I would have been living and what my world perspective would have been had Christ not entered into my life. I, none of us are any better than them. We just know Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. <laughs> We're going to heaven instead of hell. You know the difference between heaven and hell? The people in heaven have their sins forgiven. The people in hell don't have their sins forgiven. So, so when we talk about this, when we talk about not capitulating in sound doctrine and theology, we, we do it, not with an arrogance, 
We don't do it as ranch herders, ranchers herding the cattle. We don't look down on others as the Pharisees did. But we love people humbly. But we love them with truth. We love them compassionately and courageously. We we don't pretend like nothing's wrong. We come alongside of them and say, something is wrong, and I really want you to hear how it can be made right. Listen, the, what's happening, not just in our culture, what's happening in the church, and by the way, this is not about Christianity and liberal politics, ultimately, okay? This is about Christianity and liberalism that's invaded the church. But you can't disconnect the two. You can't disconnect what our culture and what's happening in the church. But, but this is why. What's happening today is why sound preaching matters. If you're looking for a church, if you're visiting us because you're looking for a church, whatever church you choose, make sure, make sure right theology that leads to right living. Make sure that sound doctrine that leads to a sound foundation in your life, that that is paramount. This is why ministries like Sovereign Grace University, SGU, exist, where, where, where we take weeks at a time, and we go through systematic theology. We talk about the doctrine of the Spirit and the doctrine of the Word and the doctrine of Christ. It matters because our theology matters. This is why sending called men to the pastor's college to study and learn and the financial sacrifice that is needed from every one of us to be able to do that matters. This is why sound biblical counseling for the areas in your life where you are struggling to to connect the dots matters. This is why community groups, a place where we help one another apply God's word, matters. This is why books like Christianity and Liberalism matter even a hundred years later. By the way, Macon was prescient. <laughs> he, he saw it coming. You read this and you go, whoa, was he looking down the corridors of time? <laughs> this is why the words of Kevin DeYoung in his foreword matter. He says, it is not enough to say what is true. We must also make clear what is false. This is why your pastor's team discussions in the next year will include questions like, where is our church theologically vulnerable? Where will our church be theologically in two, three generations? How are we theologically preparing the church today for tomorrow? You know, by the grace of God, pray for us. But by the grace of God, we are a theologically sound church, I believe. You are faithful Bereans. 
not blind followers. And we're grateful for that. But we have areas of vulnerability. I mean, we, we have concerns about our complementarian convictions, biblical manhood and womanhood being transferred to the next generation within the church. I'm not saying within this church, but within the big C church, those complementarian convictions are under assault by people that you would be surprised at. We're concerned about that. We're concerned that those, the biblical manhood and womanhood won't get passed on to the next generation. For you younger people, those of you in youth, listen. It's a mantle being given to you. As a church with a reformed soteriology, that is our understanding of how one is saved, God's sovereignty and our responsibility, we're concerned that that our continuationist convictions, what we believe about the gifts, that they are all for the church today, as Paul said in his opening words to the Corinthians, I wish that you would have all the gifts until Christ would return. We're concerned even for this generation, for our church. That's one of the reasons why we're excited to have Mark Prater. Mark on your calendars the weekend of February 24th. Mark Prater, if you don't know that name, if you're visiting, we are part of a family of churches, an ecclesiastical union, if you will, called Sovereign Grace Churches. We're not just one lone church out here. We're part of a, 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 a global network of churches. And Mark Prater serves serves our churches as the executive director. And there are few men within Sovereign Grace that I would rather sit under when it comes to biblically understanding the spiritual gifts and how they should function in your life and the church. And guess what? I got him. (laughs) We got him to come out as a follow-up to the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit class, uh, SGU class, last May, he is coming out the final weekend, weekend of February 24th. He's going to spend the weekend with us. He'll preach on Sunday, but he's going to do a weekend seminar on the gifts. It's one of the ways that we experience the gospel. It's one of the ways that we experience our salvation is by experiencing the gifts that the Spirit gives us. So mark your calendar now. Don't let anything get in the way of that. That that would be an important... That will be an important weekend in the life of our church. We're very excited about that. In the age of endless Christian blogs and virtual church, we're concerned about the doctrine of the church. It's why in May, the SGU class is going to be on just that, the doctrine of the church. How are we to understand the church, the local church, according to Scripture? Clear your May. You need to understand that. We all do. And here's why. So many believers today, and, and, and the whole COVID-19 thing just, just fast-tracked it. So many believers are just off on their own. They're doing what they do. I'm just being me. I'm just following the Lord. <laughs> They're off on their own with no sense of what it means to be committed to a local church with their consistent presence and gifts and giving. And it's hurting the church. 
it is hurting the church. So we're excited that the SGU in May will be focused on the doctrine of the church. So that's the first thing. We want to grow in sound doctrine in 2024. Second, we want to grow in appropriating and experiencing the gospel. Uh, I just spent 10 minutes talking about how our, our Christian faith is rooted in truth. Yes, but that doesn't mean that our faith is merely propositional. It's also experiential. And I know we hear that word and we freak out. Oh, okay, well, hold on. He's talking about experience now. And no, it is. It's both. It's, it's the word and spirit. It's, it's, it's truth. It's knowing truth and living out or living according to that truth. As believers, listen, as believers, we are filled with the Holy Spirit who is what? Who is continually working in us to feel and think and live, act, behave. Make decisions that are shaped by the gospel, that are shaped by truth. I think sometimes we can, you know, we can think that, you know how you, you got your Sunday best, right? We, we don't really buy into that around here. I grew up, and you put on your Sunday best for church, and those clothes were just for church, but then the rest of the week, right, you just wore your jeans and T-shirt. And I think we can kind of look at, 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 at the gospel in that way, as, as, if, as if the gospel is there for our salvation, but is put on the shelf for our sanctification. No, guess what? The gospel is everyday T-shirts and jeans. We put it on every morning. It influences and informs and shapes and speaks to our lives from the biggest decision you'll make to the smallest decision you'll make. It is meant to shape us every day. This is what the Apostle Paul believed with all his heart. Go read his letters. He's got a pattern. He's got a rhythm to his writing, right? Most of his letters, he begins by unpacking the glory of the gospel in just the way that that particular church needs it unpacked. <laughs> but you know what he always does? He always turns the corner at some point and says something to this effect. Now live your life worthy of the gospel. Now offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice. Oh, that's a transition statement. And then you know what normally comes after that? Here's how to live it out. Here's how to apply it. Here's what your life should look like as one saved by grace, filled with the Holy Spirit, and your name written in the book of life. Because the Christian life, the Christian faith is experiential. We have been given the Spirit of God to live according to the truths that we believe. I asked Tom Wilkins, one of our pastors, he's in El Paso this morning. I asked him to provide a few thoughts because I wanted you guys also to hear from the other pastors in this sermon. I asked Tom to provide a few thoughts about appropriating and experiencing the gospel 
relationally in particular. And I'm just going to read what he said. He said, be it marriage or parenting, what characterizes our homes? Rules, commands, performance, and outward obedience? Or are we growing and appropriating and pointing one another to grace, mercy, forgiveness, and the heart? He goes on to say, what characterizes our discipleship and counseling with one another? Bible thumping, pragmatic fixes, and self-esteem rants? Or do we point one another to the unfailing forgiveness we have in Christ, the unmatchable power of the Spirit to fight sin, the authority and sufficiency of God's Word, the eternal peace we have with God, and gospel unity that we have with one another? In other words, what are you experiencing as you walk with the Lord. The battle that Tim prayed for earlier, that, that battle in the heart, that battle, that glory battle in the heart, that, that's about experience. That's about experience, the good of the gospel. We, we, we can be zealous. We can, we, we can allow our zeal to be focused on our personal experiences and our preferences and our wisdom. Or... Or we can pursue the eternal realities and blessings in the gospel of the gospel in our lives and relationships. We want to grow. We want to grow in this area. We don't just want to know truth. My, my two older grandsons came over a week, week and a half ago, and when they spend the night, we go get a donut in the morning. Yes. For you really healthy parents, I let them have two donuts. <laughs> and I have two donuts. But we do this thing called donut devotions. So have a donut. That's the carrot. <laughs> Give me your attention. <laughs> and then I do a short devotional with them. We talk, ask them questions. They have to draw a picture that, that communicates what the point was. And so this last time I did it on... Their memory verse. They go to a different church. They're doing a memory verse. And one of them sat down and said, hey, Papa, I know my verse. So he recited it. And I was like, yeah, good job. I said, okay, I know you know it. But do you know it? And he looked at me and said, huh? <laughs> okay, well, I know you can say it. But do you know what it means? And how it's meant to apply in your life? Well, they're young. No. But that's what we talked about. Okay, you know the truth, but you know what it means to experience that truth. We want to grow in that in 2024. It's a worthy place for our zeal to be aimed. And marriage, we're, we're, this is one of the reasons why we're excited. Again, mark your calendar. We got a busy winter and spring. Mark your calendar. The, the weekend of March 23rd, Trey and Charlotte Richardson uh, have been in our Gilbert Church for years. Uh, they are coming down that weekend for a marriage retreat. Invite your friends. You don't have to go to the church to be a part of this. It's going to be, well, hopefully, a transforming weekend where we talk about how do we experience the blessing and realities of Christ in our marriage. The most important earthly relationship you have. And by the way, if you're in here and you're single, plan on being there because you get to be prepared. You get to be equipped 
for what Lord willing he will have in your life one day. So we want to grow in sound doctrine. We want to be zealous about growing in our experience of the gospel. And finally, we want to grow. We want to be zealous about growing in our courageous love for the lost. The truth and experience of the gospel are meant to be given away, not kept inside, right? The lost should experience our zeal for the Lord. The Great Commission is our divine invitation, if you will, to join God in what his zeal is and will accomplish. I'm going to have the worship team come up, and uh, as, I, as they do, I'd asked Tim to share a few thoughts about zealously pursuing the lost. Here's, here's what he said. God is positioning us to enlarge the circle of unbelievers in our lives. They may look fine on the outside, but we know they are a breath, one breath away from eternity apart from God, just like you and I were at one time. Our zeal can be revealed as we open our homes for hospitality, offer to pray for family members, work associates, and neighbors. We courageously love them by following up on conversations. Sometimes we even risk the comfort of the friendship by, by challenging spoken untruths. Your neighbors will have some crazy perspectives. But the Lord has you right next door to them to help them. We love the lost compassionately, doctrinally, holding fast to the truth that God says, but we enjoy being his means of grace to love them courageously. He goes on to say, getting more active in our church's evangelistic efforts is essential. Whether participating at some level in a bridge course, becoming your community group leader's outreach idea person, more intentionally inviting people to Christmas, Easter church events, or submitting and championing new ideas, God wants to grow our zeal for the lost. Yes, he does. God wants, us to, God wants to grow our zeal for sound doctrine. God wants to grow our zeal for our everyday experience of the gospel. And God wants to grow our zeal for the lost. I want to read to you how Macon ends his book. That's not his book, his speech. He says, Is there no refuge from strife? Is there no place of refreshing where a man can prepare for the battle of life? Is there no place where two or three can gather in Jesus' name to forget for the moment, all those things that divide nation from nation and race from race, to forget human pride, to forget the passions of war, to forget the puzzling problems of industrial strife, and to unite in overflowing gratitude at the foot of the cross. If there be such a place, then that is the house of God, and that the gate of heaven. And from under the threshold of that house, will go forth a river that will revive the weary, weary, the weary world. Those words were so spoken a hundred years ago. Yet they ring just as true today as they did then. Why? Isaiah 9, 7. Because the zeal of the Lord has done this.
he is doing this. He will do this. And that is our promise for 2024. Come what may.